thank you everyone for being here. So today's speaker is uh, uh, Sivaram. So he's a 50-year PhD student from University of uh, Southern California. And uh, his research focuses on uh, developing and improving uh, internet uh, security and also uh, network measurements. And uh, today's talk is about uh, how can we create and improve uh, block lists of uh, IP addresses. So thank you, Sivaram. Yeah, uh, thank you for the introduction. I'm just gonna quickly share my screen. Uh, yeah, I hope uh, everybody could see my screen right now. Yep, looks good. Okay, great. Um, uh, great, again, uh, thanks for the introduction and um, I'm honored to be here to present our work. Um, just before that, I'm just gonna pause the video, so. Okay, great. Um, so uh, today um, I'll be presenting our work on IP blockers. Um, so particularly we'll be trying, I'll be presenting two works, uh, which looks into improving the accuracy of block lists and also how reused address in block lists could be problematic and how we could actually detect them. So these, uh, these two works are in collaboration with my advisors, Milan Yu and Elena Mokovic, and a couple of folks from ICSI, uh, including Anusha and Sadia. So what are IP block lists? So IP block lists contain a list of malicious IP addresses that are known to be bad. Uh, a typical example of an IP block list is shown in the slides where it consists of a list of IP addresses that are bad. And IP block lists are commonly used uh, to typically aid more sophisticated uh, defense systems such as spam filters or intrusion detection system. The key idea about IP block lists, which makes it very attractive is that it's very simple to use. So if you're a victim network and you're under a large novel volumetric attack, um, IP block lists are the most simplest to use because all that the network operator needs to do is that they need to check the incoming traffic, take the IP address of the incoming traffic and verify with the block list. If it's present in the block list, they could just drop the traffic. So uh, this makes it very attractive and there are several maintainers who maintain malicious IP addresses. And some of those maintainers include Alienwall, Project Honeypot or Malwarebytes. However, uh, IP block lists have problems in them. The first problem is that they often contain fragmented information. This is because they mainly focus on a single type of attack, say capturing all the spam IP addresses, and also the they have very limited vantage points. So for any block list, they wouldn't capture all the uh, malicious attackers. And even if they focus on a particular malicious activity, they need not capture all the uh, spammers or IP addresses that are hosting malware. This is because they don't have a lot of vantage points. The second problem is that IP block lists um, do contain malicious activity that's a snapshot in time. However, there are malicious actors who are smart and they would evade blacklisting by staying dormant for some time and they would often reappear in the same IP block list over and over again. So uh, this becomes a, a problem as well. The third problem is that IP block lists are reactive because most of these maintainers would list the IP addresses when they see a symptom of malicious activity from them. So they only react to an attack, but they are not proactive in capturing these attackers. Finally, block lists contain IP addresses 
And because of IPv4 address shortage, what could happen is that um, address, IP addresses could be reused. And if these reused IP addresses are blocked, they could block more number of users than needed. So let's look into these problems in more detail and understand them. So the first problem being the fragmented information. In the next few slides, I would be depicting the block list as the big circles. And if a particular block list is successful in identifying an attacker, it's marked in red. So what we see over here is that blockers miss many attacks because they often uh, monitor only a specific type of attack. And this has been observed in many research where they have seen different types of block lists and see whether they're capable of detecting attackers. And they often found that they are not that great in detecting attacks. Um, and over here, we could actually see it because uh, the reason why they don't uh, detect is because they focus on specific attacks and they do not focus on the general badness of the entire IP address. However, it is also known that compromised machines are constantly reused for initiating different types of attack over time. So if there is an IP address that's sent you spam today, about three months later, they could send a DDoS attack. So monitoring different block list types could be helpful in capturing attackers more proactively. So a possible solution is that you could actually combine block lists of different attack types, and you could actually hope to capture more number of attackers. So let's look into the second problem. Here we see that um, his, uh, historical block list data could actually be useful because uh, there is a repeating pattern of attackers coming in and going out of block lists. So if you were to monitor the, the snapshots of block lists over time, and if you were to like um, include all the historically listed IP addresses in these block lists, we could potentially capture these reoffending IP addresses to improve them. However, we need to do this very carefully because block lists have false positives. In these examples, if a block list has a false positive or a misclassification, it's marked in green. And uh, blockers typically have uh, uh, false positives because they're usually maintained by different organizations or individuals, and they have their own proprietary algorithms to include an IP address in a block list. So it's up to them to decide whether this IP address is malicious or not. So because there can be some problems with their proprietary algorithm, they may list these legitimate addresses. So if we consider this idea of aggregating block lists of different attack types, what we could do is that we could actually potentially amplify the total number of misclassifications because each individual block list would have their own misclassification. And to make matters worse, if you were to consider the historicals, all the historical snapshots of the block list and combine them, we're going to amplify the misclassifications even more. So a goal of a new block listing uh, aggregation technique should be in such a way that we are able to aggregate this historical block list and somehow reduce this misclassifications in them. The third problem is that block lists are often reactive uh, because they list, they list IP addresses. Now, it is also known that uh, poorly mismanaged networks are uh, harbor more number of malicious activities than well-managed networks. So if you were to represent the IP addresses uh, in terms of an IP prefix, say the slash 24 representation of an IP address, we could potentially capture more number of attackers who are harboring within the same network. However, 
this needs to be done carefully again, because if you were to expand all the IP address to their IP slash IP prefix, what could happen is that you could again amplify the total number of misclassification. So the goal, uh, our second goal should be the fact that we should selectively expand some of the ad addresses into IP prefixes in such a way that we do not cause misclassification. Finally, the problem with IP address is that because of IPv4 shortage, uh, there are reused addresses. Particularly, we'll be looking into two forms of address reuse, uh, which is natting and dynamic addressing. Now let's take an example how natting of IPv4 addresses could be problem in block listing IP addresses. Here, there's this user uh, who's trying to access a website hosted by Cloudflare. And this example is actually taken from the Cloudflare community where this user is posting this complaint. When the user is act uh, accessing the website using an IP address IP, they actually find that they're, uh, they're being blocked by the DShield block list, which is used by Cloudflare. On investigating further, the user actually finds that their IP address is indeed shared by many other users at the same time. And one of the user is actually running a spam campaign, uh, actually leading to the IP address, which is shared by all these users to be blocked. So uh, in order to improve block listing, uh, what we need to do is that we need to accurately identify natted reused addresses uh, so that we prevent unjust blocking of other users who are not malicious. The second case of reused addresses comes in dynamic addressing. And let's take this uh, example to see how it could be problematic. Here we have two users, A and B, who are allocated IP address IPA and IPB. Now, let's say that IPA is malicious and they get blocklisted, therefore they're cut out from the internet. Now, due to the changing network policies, what could happen is that uh, they, their IP addresses could be reallocated due to dynamic addressing. Now let's assume that these two users uh, IP address gets interchanged. That is uh, the user B gets the IP address of IP A. Now, if IP A is, continue, is, is present in any of the block lists, what would happen is that user B is going to get blocked instead of user A. So here, uh, what is happening is that there's more number of users who are being blocked because of an IP address. So, we need to accurately identify dynamically reused addresses in block lists, again, to prevent unjust blocking of users. So revisiting all our problems, um, I'll be proposing, I'll be talking about two of our research work, which deals with these problems. For the first three problems, we propose BLAG, uh, which uses a technique of aggregation, and uh, it uses uh, a recommendation system to estimate the misclassifications in the aggregated block list. And it also selectively expands some of the IP addresses into IP prefixes. This work was presented at NDSS this year. For the fourth problem, uh, we propose two new techniques to identify natted and dynamically allocated reuse addresses in block list. And uh, we see how we could uh, help in identifying these IP addresses to prevent unjust blocking. This work was presented at IMCP this year. So the rest of my talk is divided as follows, where I will be presenting Black, uh, which deals with improving the accuracy of block lists. And uh, we'll talk about the data sets and evaluations of Black. Then I'll move on to the second part of my talk where uh, we propose two new techniques of identifying reused addresses. And I'll also talk about some results there. So, how does BLAG work? 
black first performs uh, the first step of black is the aggregation phase where it aggregates over 157 block lists of different attack types then uh, black estimates in this classification by using a sample of the inbound traffic to the network and uses a recommendation system to prune out these misclassifications finally black selectively expands some of the ip addresses into ip prefixes to improve performance so let's look into these individual steps one by one. Um, we have seen earlier that historical block list data could be actually useful. However, what can happen is that if we were to include all these historically listed IP addresses, we could actually increase a misclassification. The main reason is that some of the IP addresses that are malicious in the past need not be malicious at a, at, at a current time. This is because these IP addresses may be cleaned or be scrutinized to of the malicious activity and they, they can no longer be malicious. And this uh, observation was also observed by Presta, which is a work presented at Exact, where they show that recently listed IP addresses in block lists have a, tend, have a higher tendency of being malicious than IP addresses that were listed way back in the past. So in order to capture this, uh, Black presents something known as a relevant score, uh, which is the same score which is presented by Presta to assign uh, to, to, to assign a particular score to determine when the IP address was listed in a block list. So the relevant score is structured in, su in such a way that recently listed addresses would have a higher score. So this is a formulation of a relevant score for an IP address A listed in a block list B. Here, T is a current time. T out is the last time when the address A was listed in block list B, and L is a constant, which ensures that the score decays over time. So in a nutshell, uh, this formulation ensures that a high relevant score uh, means that the IP address was recently listed in a block list, and if the score is low, it was listed way back in the past. So once uh, the aggregation of uh, block list is done, uh, the uh, Black uses a recommendation system to identify misclassification. So recommendation systems are commonly found in popular services such as Netflix, Amazon, or YouTube to provide better recommendations to users on movies or books. Now, this is uh, really useful for these uh, companies because it helps in increasing the revenue uh, because the user tends to watch the content more or the user tends to buy more products. Now, uh, the, these recommendations are based on the user's previous ratings on books or movies. And uh, what uh, the recommendation system does is that it tries to find other similar users who have the same taste so that they could recommend better products to them. Now, let's take a simple example of a recommendation system uh, to understand how it works. Here, we have six users and six books. And if a user has uh, rated a book, they would rate at a scale of zero to one where zero indicates that they really dislike the book and one indicates that they really like the book. So for example, if you take the last user, we see that they really like green books because they have rated it pretty high. On the other hand, they do not like yellow books uh, because they have rated it pretty low. Now, a service such as Amazon would be interested to see if it's worth recommending the green book to user one. This is because if if they actually, they would want to show books uh, that they would act, they would likely buy. So therefore they would want to use the recommendation system 
to see what would be the potential rating of this user for this book if they actually read this particular book. So by running the recommendation system, we see that the user one, one would potentially rate the green book as 0.7. Now let's try to understand how uh, this number came by. We could see that user one and user three are similar. That is, they have a similar taste in books. We see that they have actually rated uh, the blue books exactly the same. So it is very likely that they would also like the green book uh, or rate the green book to the same extent. So that's a reason why uh, we see that the recommendation system has given the user one with a score of 0 0.7, which is very close to 0 0.6. Now, Black actually uses a recommendation system to identify misclassifications in block lists. At first, Black arranges the IP addresses and the block list in the form of a matrix where uh, rows, where the IP addresses are in the rows and the block lists are in the column. And the relevant score, which was calculated a few slides ago, is filled in if a particular IP address is present in a particular block list. Now, um, then what Black does is that it adds a new blacklist known as the misclassification block list. Now, the key point about the misclassification block list is that it contains only misclassifications. Now, in this example, let's consider that uh, these three IP addresses are uh, actually legitimate and therefore they constitute the misclassification block list. Now, for every network, uh, this misclassification block list would be curated from a sample of their legitimate traffic. Therefore, uh, BLAG is curated for every single network. Now, um, in this example, we see that the last three IP addresses have been allocated a relevant score of one, indicating that they are actually listed in misclassification block list and they are false positives. Now, the goal is that uh, we need to find the relevant score for the remaining addresses in the misclassification block list. And the intuition is that if the IP address were to be present in the misclassification block list, they would have a very high score. And if they have a very high score, it means that these IP addresses are indeed misclassifications. So if you were to run the recommendation system, we see that IP1 and IP2 are pretty similar. This is because IP1 and IP2 are listed in block list three, and they have very similar relevant score of 0.8 and one. Now uh, the recommendation system captures the similarity of uh, misclassified addresses and gives a high score of 0.7 to IP1. So therefore, IP1 is likely to be a misclassification based on the recommendation system. Then, Black goes ahead and sets a threshold for every network and prunes out all the misclassifications which have been recommended. So in, these, in this example, out of the eight addresses, four addresses have been pruned out because the threshold is set to 0.7, and four addresses have a threshold greater than 0.7. Now, why does this uh, recommendation system work uh, in this scenario? So uh, given the scenario of all the IP addresses uh, which are allocated to user, we could never know which IP address is malicious and which is legitimate at any given point in time. Moreover, there are several features or factors that actually influence a particular IP address to be misclassification. Uh, and one of the examples which I covered earlier was that some of the block list maintainers have um, proprietary algorithms by which they decide which IP address should be legitimate and which IP address should be malicious. 
And this proprietary algorithm is unknown to us, and therefore we don't know what constitutes an IP address, IP address to be a misclassification. Now, what the recommendation system does is that it helps us to identify addresses that share the same features as that of a misclassification. And it looks into the listing patterns of block lists and other known misclassified IP addresses and determines which IP addresses could be potentially uh, a misclassification. Now, once that uh, once um, a threshold has been set and uh, the IP addresses have been pruned out, Black goes ahead to selectively expand some of the IP addresses into their IP prefixes. And it does so by two uh, checks. In the first check, uh, what Black does is that it checks if a particular prefix has any known misclassification uh, in the same uh, slash 24 address space. In this example, uh, among the known misclassifications of these three IP addresses, we do not see any other IP addresses in the same slash 24. So therefore, all the IP addresses pass check one. For check two, Black checks if uh, any of these addresses have um, are in the same slash 24 prefix as the likely misclassification. So in this example, we see IP1 and IP3 are present in the slash, uh, same slash 24. And therefore, um, Black, uh, this particular IP address fails at check number two. And Black chooses not to expand this IP address into its IP prefix. So finally, what Black does is uh, it expands all the IP addresses that could be expanded into its slash 24 and leaves behind IP addresses which fails either one of the checks. So uh, uh, that's how Black works in this three, phase, uh, three steps. And now let's look into the data sets which were used to evaluate the performance of Black. So uh, we monitored about 157 block lists um, in the, from the duration of Jan 2016 to December 2017. And these block lists uh, covered different attack types, and we have broadly categorized them into four categories. That is malware, reputation, spam, and attack, basically indicating that malware block lists list IP addresses that either host malware. Reputation block lists have IP addresses that, have, that are known to be poorly, uh, have poor reputation. And spam and attack block lists pretty much send spam, IP, uh, spam or uh, a DDoS attack from those particular IP addresses. And during this uh, period, we observed about 176 million IP addresses uh, that were listed in uh, across 157 blacklists. So uh, in order to evaluate uh, black, we also need a source of ground truth. So uh, we, in the paper, we have three different types of ground truth for different types of attacks. Uh, but in this talk, I will only be talking about the email data set. However, you could look into the paper to understand the performance of the other two data sets. So for each type of data set, uh, we maintain uh, the legitimate portion to evaluate uh, how effective Blag is in recognizing misclassification. And we also have the attack portion to determine how effective Blag is in capturing these attackers. So uh, for the email data set, uh, we have the spam mails from MailNator and we have legitimate emails from an IRB study which we conducted. So uh, let's see how we use the email data set to train our system and also to evaluate our system. So um, we use the first seven days of the data set to, for training. Uh, basically this forms the known misclassification that is used to form the misclassification block list. 
then we use the next seven days to uh, estimate the threshold. Uh, in the example, which I showed earlier, the threshold was set to 0 0.7. And uh, this could vary for different networks. So we use the next seven days to estimate the right threshold for maximum uh, attack detection and minimum misclassification. And the remaining 16 days, uh, we actually use it to evaluate the performance. So for the legitimate uh, addresses, uh, we conducted an IRB study where we recruited volunteers who gave access to their uh, Gmail. And all that we did was that we created a plugin which only took in, which only captured the IP addresses of the senders and we did not uh, collect any other identifiable information. And for spam emails, we used a service called Mailinator. Uh, so basically Mailinator is an open mailbox and anybody could just send mails to uh, this open inbox. So we got hold of their API and uh, scraped through multiple inboxes and filtered out the spam emails to identify IP addresses that actually sent the spam. So let's look into the evaluation. So in order to capture the accuracy of black, we compare with two competing approaches. I mean, sorry, three competing approaches. So the first uh, competing approach is the best uh, uh, approach where we identify the single best performing block list for any given data set. Uh, note that this is uh, a hypothetical situation because a network operator would not know which block list would actually perform best uh, under a given situation. Uh, the second uh, approach is the historical approach where we combine all the block lists and all the IP addresses that were listed uh, across our monitoring period. Uh, so this is the naive ag aggregation stage where we propose that if we were to naively aggregate, there would be a lot of misclassifications. The third approach is the Presta approach, uh, which was presented at Exact. Basically, uh, their technique uh, uses a spatial and temporal analysis to improve spam detection of IP block lists. And finally, we mention, uh, sorry, we uh, measure the accuracy of blockless in terms of specificity and recall. And if, uh, if the specificity, specificity is high and if the recall is high, it means that the performance of the particular blockless is also high. So we find that the best blockless have very high specificity that is greater than 99%, but they have very poor recall. That is uh, a single individual best performing block list is not good enough to capture all the attackers. When we move ahead with the historical block list, that's the combination of all different types of block lists, we find that the recall actually improves to 18%. That is, we are able to detect more number of attackers. However, we take a hit in the specificity because uh, there are more number of misclassification. And for the email data set, the specificity drops to about 88%. When we actually compare uh, these two approaches with black, what we see is that the recall dramatically improves uh, to about 65%. And black is able to maintain uh, the high specificity level because it's able to correctly identify the misclassification. So we see that the specificity is about 95%, which is much better than historical. And the attack de detection capabilities is also much better than best than historical. So, to, combine, to, uh, to check the performance against Presta, what we did was we tuned the performance of Presta to have the same attack detection capability as that of Black. So they have the same exact recall. And we measured uh, the change in specificity. 
And what we observed is that Presa has very low specificity of 82% when you actually compare it to that of Black, which has 95%. You can uh, look into our paper for other evaluations on uh, the other two data sets of, uh, which basically include a DDoS and to a university network and a DDoS to a root DNS server. And we also explored other types of expansion techniques. Over here, I presented only the expansion technique of slash 24, but we do look into BGP prefix expansion or even expansion by autonomous systems. And we also look at do a bunch of sensitivity analysis uh, where we try to change uh, the number of blockers which are given to Blag. And uh, we also uh, play around with the size of the misclassification blockers to see whether the performance gets affected or not. Okay, so this brings the end of my, the first part of my talk uh, where I spoke about Blag. Now uh, I'll move on to the next part of the talk which is presented at IMC. Uh, where we propose two techniques to identify reused addresses. So let's look into the first technique of identifying uh, natted reused addresses. So um, in this technique, uh, we make use of the BitTorrent network uh, to identify users uh, who have been allocated the same IP address at the same time. So BitTorrent is commonly used by users who are looking for content and it basically connects users who have that particular content. Now to enable this, uh, uh, this particular network, the BitTorrent uh, protocol uh, has a bunch of messages uh, which allows many users to communicate. Now we'll make use of two of these messages to identify NATed addresses. And these two messages are get notes and uh, BitTorrent ping messages. So let's see how we use these messages. Um, so in this example, uh, we actually see that uh, there are five users uh, because there are five different port numbers which have been allocated uh, to three different IP addresses. Now the crawler is able to determine this by using the get notes message where it pretty much uh, sends this message to identify users who are using BitTorrent. Now in this case, uh, we get uh, two IP addresses that have been allocated uh, to different users who may be potentially be using the same IP address at the same time. But this need not be the case for all the IP addresses because some users may actually turn off their computer and because of which, I mean, some users may actually reboot their computers because of which they may be allocated a new port number. And this update of port number wouldn't have uh, uh, updated in the entire BitTorrent network. So the BitTorrent network can have stale information. So in order to verify if the same IP address is used by multiple users, what the crawler does is that it uses the BitTorrent ping message to verify if they are active at that particular point or not. So in this example, the crawler sends two BitTorrent ping messages to IP1 and IP2, for one for each port, and waits for the response. And we see that the crawler gets only one reply from IP1 uh, indicating that there's only one active user for that particular IP address and gets two replies from IP2, potentially saying that uh, there are two active BitTorrent users who are using the same IP address at the same time. So the crawler actually identifies IP2 as uh, a natted address. So during our measurement period, uh, we actually discovered about 48 million IP addresses that use BitTorrent. We sent about 1.6 billion BitTorrent uh, ping messages, and out of which we got response from about 48% of them. And using our technique, uh, we identified 2 million IP addresses that are natted. So let's go to the second technique of identifying dynamic addresses. 
For this, we use a RIPE Atlas uh, measurement framework, uh, which basically consists of volunteers who have uh, the RIPE Atlas probe installed in their network. And typically, uh, these probes conduct uh, small measurement tasks for uh, researchers around the world. Now, each uh, RIPE Atlas probe is allocated with a unique ID. And the RIPE Atlas probe constantly communicates with the central infrastructure to update, uh, or to update the IP address which has been allocated to them. So we see that in this example, the RIPE Atlas probe ID has been allocated an IP address of IP4 over time T1, T2, and T3. So we use this measurement logs to determine if the RIPE Atlas probe is present in a dynamically allocated uh, region or not. Now, uh, if you actually observe this log for an extended duration of time, what you could actually see is that uh, all the IP addresses that have been allocated to the particular ID. And here we see that this particular RIPE address probe has been allocated an IP of IP4 and IP6 at time T3 and T4. So um, what we do is that we work on this log to determine probes that are in uh, dynamically allocated regions. Now, uh, we need to be very careful in choosing these probes because not all probes that have address changes are in dynamically allocated address spaces. So uh, a typical example is that these volunteers may change their ISPs and because of which they may be allocated a new IP address. So to prevent that, we consider, um, we consider probes that have address changes only within the same autonomous system. So uh, starting off at around 15,000 RIPE Atlas probe, after we apply this filter, we are left with only 13,000 probes. Then we only consider RIPE Atlas probes that frequently change their addresses. Now, if you look into this graph, uh, the x-axis shows all the probes and the y-axis shows the total number of addresses that have been allocated during the monitoring period. We estimate the knee of the graph to determine probes which actually change their addresses very, very frequently and the knee points to about eight addresses. So uh, once we apply this filter, we are only left with around 2,600 RIPE Atlas probe. Finally, we want to uh, consider those RIPE Atlas probes that change their addresses on a daily basis. This is because this particular, these particular address spaces would have the maximum impact of block listing because they would be allocated to many more users over time than RIPE Atlas probes that change say probably over uh, on a weekly basis. So when we actually apply this filter, we're only left with about 629 RIPE Atlas probes starting all the way from 15,000 probes. So uh, in order to determine uh, the IP addresses uh, that are reused and are listed in block list, we use the same block list uh, data set which I described earlier. And uh, this uh, monitoring was done over two phases. Uh, one was done uh, late last year, and the second one was done early this year. And we observed about 2.2 million blocklisted IP addresses in both these periods. So uh, what we did was that we took these uh, IP addresses that were listed in blocklist, and we take the IP addresses that were identified to be reused and took the intersection of them to see uh, blocklisted reused, reused addresses. So using the, our technique of the BitTorrent crawler, we identified about 30,000 30, IP addresses that are NATed and are also present in block lists. And using our dynamic, allocate, dynamic address detection, we detected about 22,000 IP addresses that are block listed and are dynamically allocated. So let's look into some interesting results and uh, we'll, look, we'll try to answer three main questions. 
The first question is that how many blockers actually list reused addresses? So uh, the graphs on the left and right uh, show the reused addresses that are pressed, that are natted and dynamically allocated present in block list. The x-axis shows the number of block lists and the y-axis shows the number of addresses listed in them. So we find that about 61 block lists and 72 block lists do not have any natted reused address or dynamically allocated reused address. Um, I just want to uh, point out a caveat here is that our technique is not perfect. So we would not be identifying all the IP addresses that are reused. So we are definitely going to miss out some many of the IP addresses. Then uh, we also find that about the top 10 block lists by size contribute to nearly about 65% of the natted reused addresses and 72% of all the dynamically allocated reused addresses. Finally, uh, we were able to replicate only one of the study, which is publicly available. And we find that our technique is comparable to their technique in identifying the number of reused addresses. The second question we uh, attempt to ask is that, how long are these reused addresses present in block list? This is particularly important because if reused addresses are present in block list for a long time, then what could happen is that they could be unjustly blocked for that particular amount of time. So we find that um, uh, reused addresses are indeed removed much faster than other addresses. So on average, reused addresses are removed three to nine days when you compare it to normal block listed addresses that are removed within 11 days. So the graph on the left shows the number of uh, days the IP addresses are present, reused IP addresses are present in block list, and the y-axis shows the CDF. Now, uh, one interesting observation is that among the reused addresses, we find that dynamically allocated reused addresses are removed much quicker. So within two days, about 77% of all the dynamically allocated, reused, dynamically allocated reused addresses are removed, well, compared to only 42% of the remaining block listed addresses. Finally, we want to uh, identify how many users uh, would be potentially affected uh, if these reused addresses are used to block directly. Now, the graph on the left shows the total number of uh, users who are using the same IP address, and the y-axis shows the CDF of all the IP addresses. Note that this is, uh, this is done only for the natted reused address because our crawler is able to identify the total number of active users behind each IP address, and it's not applicable for the dynamically allocated addresses. Now, in the worst case, we find that some IP addresses listed in blockers could potentially block as many as 78 users. And uh, many of times, uh, uh, these IP addresses block only two active users. And we also find that about 98% of these IP, IP addresses have less than 10 active users behind them. So in summary, uh, we find that blockers have poor attack detection. So in order to improve this, uh, we thought of combining block lists of different attack types and uh, historically include all the IP addresses uh, listed in these block lists. However, we find that by aggregating uh, naively, you could actually have a lot of misclassifications. So we propose BLAG, uh, which assigns relevant scores to addresses that are being listed in block lists. Then we use a recommendation system to prune out these potential misclassifications. And finally, to make uh, block lists more, more proactive, we selectively identify addresses and expand them to their slash 24 prefix. The second part of the study consists of identifying reused addresses in block lists. 
Uh, and we find that because of the IPv4 address shortage, many of the IP addresses listed in block list tend to block more number of users than uh, required. So we propose two new techniques uh, for identifying views addresses in block list. The first technique uses a BitTorrent crawler to identify active users. And the second technique uses a RIP Atlas measurement logs to identify dynamically allocated address spaces. So uh, this concludes my talk and uh, I'm uh, ready to take some questions. But before that, um, all the data sets which I uh, spoke during this uh, talk is publicly available. Uh, you could go ahead and test out Blag if you like. Uh, and we are constantly monitoring the block list too. So every day we update a snapshot of block list on our website and we have historical block list data since 2016. Uh, and I hope uh, it'll be useful to some of you guys. Uh, thank you. Okay, so I'm uh, up for questions uh, if there's any. Okay, so the, the question from Drew is that uh, where do you think these hyper-accurate blockers have the um, highest impact? Um, yeah, so so a part of so yeah, you could actually so this could be partly answered. Uh, um, so in the second paper, we actually conducted a survey among network operators to actually see if uh, blockers have any impact on the network or they are being actually used. So we find that many of these users or network operators uh, use these blockers to actively block traffic. So they use um, say very popular blockers such as spam house or alien wall to block traffic actively. So I think that uh, blockers typically the ones which have a large number of IP addresses listed in them tend to have a larger impact of detecting attackers. However, it should be noted that since they're very large, they also have a lot of views resistance in them. So uh, effectively, if you're blocking these IP addresses altogether, all you may be blocking more number of users than required. So uh, yeah, again, I would encourage you to read our papers uh, where we compare the impact in terms of the size of block list and you will see how the performance actually varies. Great, thanks. I see another question here. Um, were you able to get API access from Mailinator uh, free or did you need grant money to help? Oh yeah. Portion? Oh yeah, that's a good question. So uh, we had to, I tried to reach out to them and uh, they were unwilling to share uh, with us. So we had to pay uh, for a month. So it's, it's, it's not that expensive. Uh, uh, it's about, I think the last time I checked it was about a hundred dollars for a month and uh, they don't have any caps. So essentially we harvested about nearly 3 million emails um, and we were able to identify nearly 35,000 or 50,000 IP addresses that actually sent spam. Uh, so I think it's worthwhile getting um, the API access if you're into that type of study. Oh, can you hear me? Yep. Yeah. Cool. No, he answered the question. Thank you, I appreciate it. <laughs> okay. Cool. Yeah, that's, uh... Yeah, it's pretty lame, but that's cool that you're able to get, actually be able to do the, do the research. So I figured that'd be more yep. of an undertaking, yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I would like to thank you guys for uh, taking your time for attending the talk. Um, yeah, and Mike, I would uh, definitely send these slides over so that you could share it with the group. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. So thank you for your presentation and thank you to all the students that were attending.
Okay. Bye. Uh, thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye -bye. Take care. Bye.